Hello there. Welcome to the Oblivious Maximus podcast for another episode. I'm your host, Aaron Osborne. This is episode 99. Nearly cracked the ton. Uh, with Joel, who hosts the My Age podcast and has played in lots of bands over the years. Um, Joel chose Life Won't Wait by Rancid, um, a record that I'd admittedly never heard before and featuring songs that I think I'd never heard before because I assume like most people that don't actually listen to Rancid, I've just heard the big songs from the record before it. Um, So it was fun to talk to someone about a record that I'd actually, you know, considerably never listened to before Um, and someone who's a big fan of the band. And I guess this record isn't the record that everyone associates as their best, but Joel stands by it, so it was interesting to hear why. Uh, we talked about podcasting. Joel, as I mentioned before, does the My Age podcast, and he also has done a different version of it um, called Original Me, which I guested on recently, where he talks to people about songs that they've written, which is really cool, and it was really fun doing it myself. So go and check out the My Age podcast and the Original Me version of that as well. Um Otherwise, I've got episode 100 coming up, so fucking strap in for that and enjoy episode 99 of the Oblivious Maximus podcast with Joel from My Age Podcast, talking about Life Won't Wait by Rancid. Fucking brutal. All right, Joel, thank you for doing the podcast with me. Thank you for having me. Pleasure. Um, all right, so you've picked a Rancid record, a band yes. I haven't touched yet. Um, well, okay, before we get into the record, I know yep. we've talked about it, I believe, on your podcast maybe ages ago when I did Many it. Many moons ago. You were, you were guest number four. There you go. So it would have been like... To, yeah, early 2017. Yeah. yeah but my... A long time ago. One of my, like, my closest real tie to Rancid is Murph from I Exist singing Rancid with you guys in Sydney years ago. I, I watched that video, I probably wouldn't say monthly, but whenever one would like, it gets a bit of a spin still. It's <laughs> fucking fantastic. Yeah. It's so funny because lots of people, I guess, well, particularly... I've shown it to so many people who live overseas yeah. because people meet Murph and don't believe that he was once the singer of a hardcore band. <laughs> like, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> and they have like no frame, like unless you were from Australia at the time and knew hard luck, like people don't have a frame of reference for the fact that yep. like he was quite charismatic live and he was quite yeah. good as a frontman. But Fantastic. Yeah. Because he's such a quiet dude. People don't see that in him, and yeah. then there's not very much footage of Hard Luck because it was pre phones. Yeah. You know? yeah, 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 yeah. But so that that footage because J Hat filmed it, so it like looks real good. Yep. Is like well. su- such a good capture of Murph as a frontman, and he was pretty drunk from memory. And you just there's like a couple times where his smile is so genuinely like. Yeah. He was so excited about doing that leading up to it and was like, and just, I think the bit that always gets me in the, in the cover is right before like the bass solo. Yep. The get him max bit. And he just yeah, looks, yeah, yeah. Murph's face, he, he looks like so excited to say that. <laughs> Cause he knows what's coming. Yeah. He knows the thunder is going to be brought. And um, <laughs> yeah, you know, he just, you know, it's like, it's, you know, this isn't the album we're going to talk about, but yeah. like, it is a, that is a, like uh, Maxwell's murder is a fuck. It's a, it's got to be one of the greatest like punk rock track one yeah. openers in history. It's huge. Like yeah. Anyway, that that yeah. that was. I just wanted. I I couldn't do this with you without talking about that again. That's fair um, enough. That's fair enough. So I'll get Cody on my lap, who will in- inevitably want to watch Blippy or fucking Monster Trucks or whatever. Yeah. And I'll be like, no, no, no let let's watch. Let's watch me and Uncle Trent play live. So Trent's Trent Crawford, the guy who's to my would be playing to my left, um, who played one dollar short. 
he's we live close. Our kids are the same age. They go to the same daycare. Yeah, right. So like he he gets a kick out of seeing me and him, and <laughs> I get a kick out of watching the night because it was fucking. It was such a great night. Yeah. Mm. So. Well, I'm glad. I'm glad we've covered that again. Yes. I think it's important yeah. to keep bringing up for people to keep checking out that video. Yeah. Yep. Um, Links will be shared. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right. So you picked. You picked Life Won't Wait. Why yes. did you pick this record? I have a ongoing conversation with, uh, you know, I, ju- I jump into ongoing conversations with um, anybody who ever mentions that um, Outcome of the Wolves is the best Rancid album. Okay. And I'll always say to them, and like I'll, you know, people, not, you know, not that you want to be judge people or whatever, but people's opinions, I respect people's opinions more when they, when they, come out and say no life won't wait is actually a better album because that's my opinion and like okay. the two aren't you know i shouldn't say they respect their opinion more because you know it's all subjective and whatever but um yeah i always get a kick out of seeing people who kind of who appreciate this album more yeah well you know and kind of claim it yeah it's it's a lot more of a three-dimensional album there's a whole lot more going on musically and stuff yeah, compared to life, uh, compared to outcome the wolves, and that's not saying outcome the wolves is bad because of that because it's, it's it's timeless. Um, it's a really, 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 really good album from start to finish. But it also this is going to sound weird that I'm putting shit on it because I definitely I'm not putting shit on it. But it is a very yeah, it's a very two D album. Sure, it's like punk songs. This is how it's done, and a couple of scar songs, and this is how it's done, and like. That's the scope. It's the same kind of couple of chords. And look, fuck, who am I to diss that? Like, that's that, it's a fucking fantastic album. But life won't wait. Just has more things to keep me interested over the long haul. Yeah, yeah, I get, I get it. Yeah. And I, I would agree with that. I, like, as someone who's a complete outsider, to to me, um, this sounds like a record by a band that's thinking about music more. Like, yeah. they're, they're not thinking about you know punk or maybe maybe writing like catchy songs as much because certainly that record has like three big hits on it you know like whereas this to me while i don't hear like as many singles or whatever the songs are still i mean the songs are really catchy they're still really catchy choruses and things like that but yeah Yeah. it certainly is exploring a lot more musicality as well yep and it's it's also interesting because they never they never went back to it. Yeah. Like they never, and and to the point where their next album, which was their fifth album, which was actually called Rancid as well. Their first album's called Rancid mm-hmm. and their fifth album was also called Rancid, but they, you know, people call it Rancid 2000 because it came out in 2000. That, that was marketed as like, this is a return to form. Yeah, rah, right. rah, rah, like Rancid doing what they do best. It's like, well, okay, like that's cool because... You obviously realise that a lot of people you would have lost a lot of people along the way with the last with life won't wait, mm. so that's how they kind of pitch the new one, the new the next one. But yeah, look, it's twenty two years old this year, and I still listen to it and like think, oh fuck, I've never noticed that before. Yeah, like just little bits all the way through. I never noticed that before. So yeah, when when did you first hear the record? When it came out. Yeah. So like in not yeah so. I was... Were you already a fan beforehand? Yeah, yeah. So yeah. I was 16... <clears throat> pardon me. I was 16 when it came out. Um, and it was... Like, I kind of discovered punk rock like a year... I uh, would have been about two years earlier, so like 96-ish. Mm-hmm. Um, and at that time, yeah, it was just like absorbing kind of anything and everything. And it was a no-brainer because um, Outcome the Wolves was so monumental. Mm. Um and it was on Epitaph and, you know, it kind of ticked all the boxes. So when I knew it was coming out, like, I'm almost positive. If I didn't buy it the day it came out, I definitely went into, I definitely went into, like, a HMV or something similar to that and listened to it on the headphones. Yeah, right. To kind of, like, you know, because that's what you used to be able to do. <laughs> yeah, you did. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I remember that. Yeah. So, um, but yeah, like, it was, and it was, it was the first Rancid album that came out that I, w- I was a fan of the band and then it came out. So I was kind of ready to kind of take it on with open arms. Mm. Yeah. Um, were you, I guess as part of that, were you or, uh, I mean, this band is 
synonymous with fucking bass playing and you, yes and you are a bass player yes so by that point were you already playing were you playing yeah. bass yeah so i started christmas 95 okay christmas 95 maybe christmas 96 but like mid 90s yeah um and i think like looking back on it now and kind of doing the the research into like talking about this i think maybe one of the things that really clicked with me was it was still a like sorry let me start again one of the things that have kind of i've still loved about it is it is really really bass heavy like yeah and not not like yeah like it's the bass is loud yeah like, and can and it's like leading the song most of the yeah, time like. it's, it's yeah it, absolutely and like and not again not to put shit on um not to put shit on outcome the wolves but I'm going to sound like a wanker saying this, but like there are clever, there are really clever bass lines in this that, yeah, as you said, they lead the song, they drive the song. Yeah. Whereas Life, uh, whereas Outcome of the Wolves was kind of like a, uh, how would you put it? Like it was a perfection of sound that um, Operation Ivy were trying to do. Sure. And it was kind of like the combination of all that into one, one great album. And they went, cool, probably can't do that again. So let's try something different. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, just like looking into the record itself, like the list of guest musicians is like like 10 times longer than the track listing. Yeah. (laughs) There's so many guests on it. It's insane. So one of the, um, again, like I'm not, I'd like to think of myself as a, like I sit down and study the book and that kind of thing. Yeah. But I remember when the CD came out, like, the one, like I remember looking at the list of guests and going, these don't mean much to me. Like, and looking back at it, like in the, over the last year or so, like I've realised, like Roger Murray from Agnostic Front mm. sang on it. I found out today Billy Joe Armstrong yeah. does backing vocals in the first track. Like, and I knew they obviously had a connection from they wrote a song a couple of years back and da 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 da. Um, but one thing that actually kind of blew me away, and I as soon as I read it, I messaged him, was. Um, Tim Shaw, who sings in Ensign and uh, a band called Fuck It, I Quit. Yeah. Um, I had him on my podcast and he was telling me about how he was actually a roadie for Rancid. Oh, wow. Back at that time. And so I'm looking at the the additional guests and because it's there's fucking heaps of them, I look at the bottom and it says like, this person is on this label and this person on this label. And it said Tim Shaw, courtesy of, uh, of uh, Indecision Records. I was like... Holy fuck, he sang on it as well. So, yeah, but there are so many. And actually, there's a weird little one which I knew about but thought it was a joke. Yeah. I'll explain that in a second. So there's a guy on the guy that does backing vocals called Will Wheaton. Yep. Now, what does the name Will Wheaton mean to you? Anything? Star Trek, baby. Okay, so to me, it means Big Bang Theory. Okay, well, he's but the like, same guy. That's the same but he's person. the same guy. Like, he plays himself or a variation of himself. Yeah. So, like, I thought for the longest, like, for a long time that Will Wheaton did, like, a like a wiki vandal thing where he went, oh, how good is this going to be? There's so many fucking guests on this album. I'm just going to say I was on it and just, like, write it down and no one will ever fact check it. Yeah. So I thought or someone had, you know, done something dumb like that, but it, there's actually a guy named Will Wheaton who isn't the guy from Star Trek or Big Bang Theory. And yeah, so when I was scrolling through it, I saw that and got so excited and was like Yeah, right. Cuz I'm a big <laughs> Trekkie and I was yeah. like I got so revved up thinking like holy shit, someone from Star Trek is on this record. Fuck. I'm I'm glad we're on the same page with that. That's fantastic. <laughs> yeah. No, I definitely got very excited by it. Um, yeah, sick. I, I mean, I guess in in hand with having those many guests, though, ties into the fact that there is like an insane amount of, comparatively insane amount of instrumentation on the record too. So, yeah. I mean, like, I mean, there's multiple songs with piano. There's multiple songs with yep. organ. I mean, there's harmonica straight off the bat. Yeah, like, straight off the bat. Like, Punch in the face harmonica. Yeah. yeah. Is is that something that Rancid work into the live shows at all, or is it no, just on this no. record? So the like um it's definitely just on that record. The uh they've toured with a guy who plays a Hammond, like mm-hmm. a B three Hammond organ. Yeah. But I don't know if he tours with them anymore. Like so last year 
is a bit of a sidetrack, but I'll get to the point. Last year, they did, they headlined one of the days of punk rock bowling in um, Las Vegas. Yep. So me and Helmet, a bunch of mates... Helmet brought that up to me when I told him I was doing this with you. <laughs> there you go. Yeah, so me and Helmet... Look, and look, we've known each other for ages, but like not more than just, oh, hey, it's Helmet from... You know, helmet. Yeah. But like, so and he was he was hanging out with Stu, uh, Stu Ross, and mm. we all kind of came together, and like, it was one of the fucking greatest moments to share this experience with those dudes. But um, I don't like if they had a beat, if they had a Hammond player, cool. But like, I don't remember. Wasn't it. noticeable. <laughs> yeah, it wasn't that noticeable. And like, but the rest of the instrumentation, no, not at all. No harmonica. Do they? No. Do they ever play with horns? The only time I've ever seen them play, I've seen them with footage of horns. Yeah, was around the same time. Um, Adam Yuck from the Beastie Boys did this um, festival called. Is it Free Tibet? No, it must. It has a better name than that. But like this Tibetan free, oh Tibetan Freedom Festival or something mm-hmm. like that. All these bands. It was in San Francisco. All these bands played it, and they did a cover of um, "The Harder They Come, The Harder They Fall." Yeah. And I have a feeling that when they played that, there were people came on stage and played with them. Yeah, but that's it. Like the as a like, as opposed to a Green Day who have, you know, two spec like they've got the three core members of Green Day and yeah. they've got two guitarists and a keyboard player and a sax player and da 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 da. No, like it's just the four main members. It's. I mean, that's really interesting because, I guess having you know scar songs. Yeah, it's interesting that they haven't, at least in the elder sort of years of the band, started using that stuff live. Yeah, you know, just bringing them with it. Yeah, it couldn't yeah. be that much of an expense. Yeah, no, exactly. And and by this point, I'm sure, particularly when they're playing like big festivals and stuff, I'm sure there's enough budget to chuck yeah. on to accommodate it. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. and it's uh, and chances are, like, if they're playing some big festival, if they're playing some big festival. Then there's probably there probably is a, a band with horns kicking around. Yeah, yeah. Like, well, and and I yeah. mean, it's just, it's just really interesting for me. Uh, that's always something that's um, well, it's annoyed me from my own band's perspective. Like, yeah, recording songs that you don't play live, which is yeah, which was like the biggest trope of I exist. Like <laughs> we have it? we have yeah. so many songs that we either can't play or don't play live, and like yeah. I mean, not that, not that anyone's out there gagging for I Exist to play every song off our three albums, but like yep. at the same time, there are songs that I think are really good songs that we have just straight up never played because either you know someone didn't learn it or the words there's too many words in the song, so it's hard and to sing it live or yeah, whatever. You know, yeah. like that's a, that's a, like I mean, you know, so I was interested to see because it's obviously this album isn't. It's definitely not a not a universal favorite. That's sure. definitely the best one. It's a diehard fan like favorite. But um, I was looking at their like setlist FM, and I think there's 22 songs on the album. They've done like according to setlist FM, which you know whatever. Like it could mm. be it could be the the truth, or it could just be overlooked or whatever. But like there's only been 13 documented. Sorry, there's only they've only documented 13 songs played live. Yeah, right. So that's that's nine that they've never touched. Yeah. And, you know, sometimes a lot of it is very... Um, a lot of it would be hard to pull off if you didn't have that organ or if you didn't yeah. have that whatever instrument. Yeah. Well, there, I mean, and there's even like... I guess, and I don't know if this is something universal for the band, but I mean, it seemed like it was something specific to this record, but there's like interludes and stuff. Like it's it's framed... It's seemingly it's framed a lot more like a traditional music sort of record as opposed to a punk record you know yeah yeah i definitely agree to that yeah and and like that that in itself is interesting as well and i mean i guess i don't know but in terms of like where they're at in their career it, and it's interesting like we were just talking before we were recording about the weezer episode about how like bands take choices make choices and take different turns and things like that and to me this is another record that sounds like that like sounds like a band that's gone well, yeah, cool. We can. We've done that. So let's like you know. I looked, you know, reading about it. Like they recorded songs in Jamaica. They with yeah. like you know musicians from this actual cultural standpoint that Scar, you know, o- originated from. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
So th- that's uh, that's really interesting as well. Um, the like to bring it back to the Weezer album, the whole concept of like you talked about how Kumo would record stuff and then yeah. go to a different studio. Like these guys recorded at five different studios. Yeah, it's crazy. And sometimes it kind of like if you if you I. I it only just kind of dawned on me, listened, again, listened to it like with really like intensive listening, but mm. a lot of it dawns on you like, okay, so this must have, like these couple of songs were done here because they all have this kind of vibe. Yeah. And this song and this song and this song have, there's a couple of songs that like sound like they did it live in a studio, like actually, like cool, hit record, count, count it in, let's go, because like there'll be, there'll be songs where they, the last chord will ring out and they'll all jump on it in just separate times. Yeah, yeah. So it's not perfect, but it's live. Like that's how yeah. it is live. And I was like, oh that's that's really cool. Like but the the five album thing, the sorry, five studio thing, I can only imagine would be a logistical fucking nightmare. Oh yeah. And I mean again, <laughs> like talked about on that, but like that's just so far out of my realm of possibilities for doing. Yeah. Like I yeah. don't I just can't even fathom he- do well i mean one having the money to do that but two yeah. like not being overtly restricted to a time frame or sticking to like well oh, fucking you gotta have everyone's gotta be there and you gotta do it like yeah. it can't it can't spread out over years or months or locations you know like one of the so one of the studios that actually actually recorded that was called blood clots blood clot studios yeah which i guess is where the they probably were the title of it. Well, after the intro track, the first track came from, but that was actually Tim and Lars's. Well, I don't know if it was their studio together, but it was the Rancid studio. Yeah, right. So yeah, that that song is one that I made a note of having like, that's a great opening yeah. to a record song. Like it's got a great yeah. chorus. It rips in like straight away. Yep, bass is massive on it. Like yeah. huge sounding, but like I thought it was yeah that song. It kind of, it makes punk, like, you know, punks who want their fix of Rancid when they press play for the first time. Yeah. It gives them that sense of like, oh, like, I know what I'm, I'm I know what I'm in for. Yeah, yeah. 20, 20, more, 20 more tracks of this, you beauty. <laughs> and like, by track three, um, it, it all changes. It's completely Like, different. it all changes, <laughs> yeah. So, but they have that, um, you know, throughout the album, they're not, they're not like, out come the wolves punk rock tracks but there are a lot of punk rock songs that kind of if like if you're if you're die hard that's what you wanted then you can you can put up with like the slower lovier dovier whatever songs yeah. or the poetry songs or whatever because like around the corner there's another aggressive fast punk song coming yeah yeah so yeah i mean there's a lot of other things in there too that like the so um crane fist like yep. to me, the whole time I li- I had to listen back to it like four times because I was like, "What does this make me think of?" And after like the fourth time, I was like, "If this had like a harder beat behind it, yep. it could almost be a Cypress Hill song." Like- well, so I wrote down. Yeah, I I'm very I'm very, our yeah points are very similar on that. I wrote down it was it was like Rancid doing a Wu Tang song. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And even like it even had the title, I, you know, <laughs> well the title, but like the start of the the sample at the start of it, yeah, talks about like the two schools combining and da 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 da. And it's like, yeah, that's like Wu Tang did that, like yeah. plethora of times. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I mean, and but even just like the, I guess like the bounciness of it and stuff is yeah. like very reminiscent. Obviously, very reminiscent of hip hop. But yep. I mean, it's just very, it's just interesting as a whole. Like that there are that. There's that much dynamic in this record for yeah. for what came before it, effectively, you know, like yeah. and that's quite interesting. I mean, I guess another thing, like reading up on them, I didn't realize that there's so much, I guess, like folklore about them being, I suppose, like hounded by major labels and yeah, yeah, you know, being really chased for it and then not not going through and sticking with, you know epitaph i suppose the you know and like sticking with an independent label effectively and then doing their own stuff but like it's so interesting that a band like this is what is what got hounded for that in the grand scheme of things like to the to the point where madonna had a label called maverick records yeah and i don't know if it's the just them 
talking shit because they can talk shit or whatever, yeah. or it legitimately happened. But like, I'm sure there's an interview with Lars saying, yeah, yeah, we, Madonna wanted us to go on like Maverick Records. And we said, if you send us some nude photos, we'll, we'll sign your label to your label. I, like, and I, and I'm not condoning it. I'm, you know, that's whatever. But like, yeah. I, and I don't know if he was just getting a laugh, like, or having a laugh or whatever, or legitimately was like, no, no, no. That's if you want did. us bad enough, then this is what we want. Yeah. And ultimately they didn't sign to him. But interestingly, they, so after this album, they do a string of albums on Hellcat Records. Yeah. Which is Tim's label, but it's like a subsidy of yeah. Epsaf. Yeah. But then one of the albums they do is on Hellcat Records, but it was like distributed by Warner Brothers. And Warner Brothers had some kind of like financial interest in it, I'd say. Sure. And, but like, uh, you know, they didn't actually promote it as Warner Brothers. Mm. They, they just had some kind of financial interest in it. It was really interesting. But like, then Epitaph did the LPs anyhow. And yeah, yeah it was fucking, yeah. Well, I mean, I guess the other things that, like, I didn't know about Rancid as a band, I mean, not specifically Rancid, but that Tim Armstrong has won two Grammys. Yeah. Like, uh, and then just looking at, like, the production credits for him, like, and songwriting credits, like, man, that, like, the the fact that one of them is for a Pink song and it's a Rancid runoff. Like, it was a song that was meant to be a Rancid song. So, like, what I kind of came to the conclusion of with this album was that they, after they did it, they all had that urge of, we have more in us than just, like, three-chord punk, whatever. So they all kind of, like, not went their separate ways, but they all kind of pursued other things in their personal life, or not personal life, but, like, personally, not under the Rancid umbrella. Yeah that kind of must have ticked all the boxes. Like um, the bass player had a rockabilly band. I think it was a rockabilly band or like a psychobilly or something like that band. Mm. And um, Lars has Lars Fredrickson and the Bastards and Tim did uh, Transplants, which has that hip hop feel to it and Travis Barker on drums. And yeah, like the drummer drummed on a pink album. Yeah. Like that Tim helped produce or whatever. Yeah. So they kind of, yeah, they kind of, I guess they got, what they needed out of that other stuff and they must have said you know if it's going to be rancid then it's going to be not the formula but the we're going to have the limitations in place yeah and not do that again yeah yeah and i mean i get the the thing the reason that is so interesting to me is because i guess if you think of like i guess the scope of bands that they exist within a you know a similar scene or genre within yeah there's there, I, there doesn't seem to be as much that have spread out that diversely. Like, I mean, obviously Green Day are, have effectively become like a radio rock band, you know? Yeah. And yep. That's one way. But And same with Blink-182 and things like that. But like, this is like, they're, they're still doing the same stuff. They've, yeah. just, they've just branched out. And it's so interesting that that was, this is the band that that happened to. <laughs> Of yeah. all of that stuff, you know? Of all that sound, yeah, absolutely. It's wild. Like, the the band that, yeah, the band that should, in theory, have never been commercially viable. Yeah. Like, even on this album, um, when it came out, like, MTV had just hit Australia. Like, it used to be something else. And then MTV came to Australia on, like, a pay TV subscription thing. Yeah. And regularly, regularly they play the, when this album came out, they played the Blood Clot film clip. Mm. And... There'd even be this is gonna date me, but like, there'd before before pay TV actually had ads all the way through it. Mm. Like when it, when pay TV first came to Australia, they there wasn't ads. That's what they were pitching as like we are ad free. You know, yeah. they'd have like little snippets of like this program is brought to you by blah blah blah. Then the show would come on. Um, but I remember MTV. It was either MTV or Pepsi. But one of them had used the intro to Life Won't Wait. So there were no lyrics, but it's that really spooky piano yeah, yeah. baseline thing. And you'd never know it was rancid unless you knew it was rancid. You just you just would have thought it was some twenty second sample someone had put together. Wow. Like so it really reached into like people were listening to it, I guess off the wave of the nineteen ninety four punk rock explosion and the fact that Rancid were one of the biggest bands 
to kind of like you know one of the top four easily rancid no effects uh offspring blink green oh yeah there's obviously a couple of them but yeah, yeah. did they so, did they come here around that time they came here in 1998 yeah right so, so when on they, this tour then right on this tour yeah, yeah yeah so they came out and they didn't they didn't announce an all-age show it was like all these overage shows. Yeah. And then out of nowhere... Oh, they may have played a festival in, like, Melbourne that was that was all ages, but it was mm-hmm. in Melbourne and I was in Sydney and I was 16, 20... Well, I was 17 by the time that came out. And they played at this place called Caringbar Skate Plus. So I don't know if you how well you know Sydney, but Caringbar is a suburb of southern Sydney. Yeah. Like, then, like, Cronulla Rights, that kind of... The Shire based in. Yeah. I feel like I've been to that... What's that other venue there? Bizos. Bizos. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So okay. yeah, it's it's five minutes from that. Not okay. even. Yeah, yeah. And um, but it, like it was a skate arena. Okay. Like a big round, well, oblong, fucking terrible venue. Terrible yeah. venue. That someone went fuck. Let's just put an all age show on here, and that it was half filled, and it sounded like shit, utter shit, because it wasn't a venue. Yeah, yeah. And even if it, like, you know, it wasn't a venue, and even if they thought, oh, well, if we fill it up, it'll pad the sound out, but they didn't, like, they didn't fill it up because it, it was a fucking huge venue. But, yeah, that so that was the last time they came out in 98. And 22 years later, they haven't come back. And, and there's... I mean, so my association with that is obviously, well... Helmet and Matt, his brother, obviously both like love them a lot, and yep. Then as well, um, Alex from I Exist and Murph from I Exist yep. both love Rancid as well, and all I'd ever heard, you know, whenever I was hearing Rancid in, you know, when we were touring or whatever, or it was getting yep. brought up or talked about, it was always about how like no. I, and again, I could be wrong, but that none of those guys had ever seen them because they'd all missed out the one yeah. time that they came here. <laughs> so they, no, that so they came out a few years earlier, right? For this festival called Somersault. Okay, and that was the so okay. There's there's three reasons that let's call it three reasons why they've never come back. Yeah, the first reason, and I'll, this will I'll bring it back around. So at the Somersault Fest tour a few years earlier, he meets um, his wife. He meets Brody Dahl. Yep. She was playing in a band called Sourpuss. They met on the festival. Rah, rah, like the rest is history per yep. se. Um, so reason one is because they they separated. He was like, "Fuck that, fuck Australia, never going back there." Because she was Australian, yep. right? That's like the comical version. Sure, like not well, not comical that they broke up or whatever. But that's like the but you, you would assume you would assume he wouldn't hold a grudge against making money in a country solely okay. based off one. So person. that <laughs> that brings us to point two, right? Yeah. And I completely agree. That brings us to point two. Like, if you look at look, you know, you you've toured you've toured a lot more than I have, and I've toured. You'd know the logistical nightmare it is to do a quote unquote Australian tour. Yeah. Like the distance between Brisbane and New South Wales, uh, Brisbane and Sydney, like two hour flight or you know, hour and a half flight, but a ten or eleven hour van trip. But they're yeah. not going to they're not going to drive. But like there are only there are, are only so many limited stops they can do. Yeah, and it's a logistical nightmare. Like the alternative, like you look at California where they all predominantly live now, mm. they could do a couple of shows in San Francisco, then a couple of shows in LA. Then a couple of shows in San Diego, mm. not leave the state, you know, not really travel far, play to the same amount of people, make the same amount of money, yeah, and be and do it, you know, start on a Wednesday and be home by Monday, yeah. Like so, that's the that's the the realistic reason, I guess, that they'd never come out. There's just no money there. Like there was a rumor going around years ago when um, Soundwave was active. Mm. That the guy who runs Soundwave offered them a million dollars a show, and they went, "Nah, it's not not worth our time." That, I mean, which that, is that's, interesting. That's all I thought. Like, surely they had, to, they have to have been offered download every year. That yeah. all those other punk bands get offered it. Like, and and similarly, like you know, when particularly when like there was those few years where it was like No Effects came out, Bad Religion came out, Descendants came out, like all that. Like they had to have been in the mix of those yeah, discussions in the conversation. Yeah, absolutely. Like, yeah, and I'm sure those tours 
paid those guys very well. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like- so, well, the other the other reason, which is, I don't know how much truth there is to it, but someone who will remain late and nameless, who we both know really well, mm-hmm. and were, is a you know an industry industry dude, da 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 da, said um, that one of them got done with gun charges or like got sure. carrying a gun out sense. here. Yeah, and if he comes back in, they'll arrest him. Yeah, I mean, like, and there's even there's even and that stuff, happens. There's even stuff with that uh, with that as well. Is like, I mean, again, sweated the shit out of them. Yep. Sweated my way to being friends with them, but I know that I had God have had. It, I mean, they've been here twice, and I know that it was like a logistical nightmare getting them here because they all have various drug Felonies. charges and yeah, right. Have two of them have been in prison and stuff, so it's like very difficult for them to get in the country because I, I think the people that bring them out have to pay as, as much like in insurance yeah. as they do on flights because you know there's a, a relatively risk. high risk that they'll yeah. fuck up. You know, in, so in a is visa that from Australia? Is that from an Australian government standpoint? Or is that from a US government standpoint? No, an, Australia, an Australian go? government standpoint. I think. I, I think. I mean, I don't think the US government cares where people go. But I mean, I know that, yeah. like, again, not not them specifically, but I know that there's other bands that have had, you know, had considerable trouble getting in here because one, you know, one person in the band has had, you know, an, an offence charge from like thirty years earlier. Yeah. Again, I won't talk about who it is, but I know for sure there's a band that's quite well liked that has a member that has a like an involuntary manslaughter charge who have tried to come in a number of times, but like the Australian government just won't allow it. Even yeah. though it was like 20 years ago, it's like, well, you've effectively been, while it wasn't your, you know, it wasn't said it was your fault, someone died and you had something to do with it. <laughs> So, so that's it. Wow. Like, don't really want you coming here. <laughs> you know? Is that person big enough of a, like, crucial enough of the band that they couldn't just replace yes. them? Yes. And, like, right, okay. And, and at, the, at the same time, like, I mean, also, why would you want to go through that process if that was you as well? Like, yeah. surely yep. you don't want to go through dealing with that shit. Like, even having it brought up again. Yeah. Even the I God guys that I know it's all like old drug stuff and old dumb things like it's a nightmare for them like it's uh, so annoying and so time consuming and i'm sure like you know a burden on literally everyone to for something that's so old and has you know nothing to do with their life anymore but i guess the way immigration things work in countries like this they really stick that on you you yeah they don't let you let yeah it doesn't never goes away i guess no um, all right. Two other big rancid questions I have. And yeah, go for it. As a as a rancid outsider, so I guess the first one would be brief, <clears throat> briefly touched on it. But how important to you as a bass player ongoing has this band continued to be, or was it something that just influenced you at the start? Um, it definitely influenced me at the start. Yeah, it definitely influenced me at the start because, like, when I first started playing in like my first proper band that, you know, play gigs and whatever, even though half of them would have been house parties or whatever. But like we, we played a style of ska punk, like ska pop punk stuff. Yeah. Not really actually ska. Do you, do you know Mill and Colin much? Yeah. Okay. So like you wouldn't call Mill and Colin a ska band, no. but they have some ska songs sure, and yeah, that's yeah. kind of what we did. We okay. sound like Lagwagon and every once in a while had like, pick it up, pick it up, pick it up stuff. Yeah. In it. yeah. So like, that's yeah. He, the bass playing back then definitely made me. We definitely a huge impact on me and influential. Um, nowadays, it's more the bass playing is more just like I could, I could, I can do that. Like I can do that stuff if I put my mind to it. Yeah. Because like you know you hear something, whatever whatever you're really into, you'll you'll see someone doing it and just go, fuck, I could never do that. Yeah. Like yeah. and you could your choices are give up or stop mm. or you know. Or try. And like, so he's definitely been that kind of, that musician where I've gone, yeah, like, he was only this age when he did it. And I'm older than older than that now. Like, I just have to put my mind to doing it. Yeah. You know, um, but it's interesting, like, as, you know, this is a bit of a weird side note, but like, as good as he's, as good and influential as his bass playing is, 
his vocals are like literally the other end of the pendulum. Yeah. They're so bad. <laughs> like he's he luckily he doesn't sing on that album and he doesn't sing on Outcome the Wolves either. Because if he if he did, they'd be like the skippable tracks. Right. But like there are he sings probably one or two songs every other album. And I just think to myself, what okay, like let him do it. Whatever. <laughs> Like there's 22, you know, there's anywhere from 17 to 22 tracks on each album. Yeah, you're gonna have a dud one. He just happens to have the dud ones. So, so that is a good link into my second rancid question, yep. which is, where do you stand with Tim Armstrong's speaking slash singing oh, voice? <laughs> so one of the comments I have here that I've written down is, um, this album is like pinnacle marble mouth Tim Armstrong. Yeah, like. There's a song, um, it'll come to me in a second, but I legitimately, I remember when it come, I remember when it came out, I was like, I reckon Tim was drunk when they sang this, when he sang this, uh, the song's called Warsaw. Yeah. And there's, there's like this bit. Just imagine just this, him real quick trying to pronounce the word Warsaw. Yeah. <laughs> oh, dude. Like it's, it's legitimate. Like I heard it where this sounds like drunken, you know, drunken. Uh, neighbor, oh, no, I probably shouldn't say neighbor, but like you know, the guy you go, you go to the pub, and there's a guy that like the local guy there, and this night it's his birthday, so he's gone harder than he's ever gone before, yeah. and he he is just a slurry mess, but now it's Tim Armstrong singing on a big, big album. It's like I, that's my I guess not that it not that it bothers me like I don't yeah. care because it's not like it's just it's not like it's it's out of tune or it's really bad or what like it's just to me it's just like I sit there and listen to it and I, I just think things to myself like what did the other guys think when he yeah. was singing like this like are they like oh yeah that's how he sings or are they like this these aren't words <laughs> like you are not saying words are, are you are you gonna tell him or am i gonna tell him <laughs> yeah. that it's all about like i you know I, he yeah but is that know. is that something that polarizes rancid fans or do rancid fans just not care as a rancid fan i think i think they find it um endearing yeah sure like they you know they i mean just it's like, a funny thing to talk about obviously yeah absolutely it is absolutely it is and like he's Vocal, like so. Okay, when he does those, when he does those weird mumbly, marble mouth, mm. drunken, whatever. I've kind of come to realize over the last ten years or so, and this is going to sound weird because I sang in old music for old people who literally <laughs> did covers of these songs. Um, the when he when he goes off on those tangents, I just think to myself, it's just another. It's it's like it's just another instrument. Yeah, that happens to not, like you know, and and I've realized that like lyrics aren't a big thing to me. No. Like, and I'll, I'll listen to, you know, I'll listen to the song and I'll be able to, like, sing or hum or play or whatever. Every part of the, that's every part of the music that's happening. But if you got me to write, write down the, the lyrics start to finish, I couldn't do it. Yeah. Because, like, I just don't, I kind of, that's not what's, not, not important to me. But, like, that's almost an afterthought because I've never been a good lyric writer anyhow. Sure. Um, but, yeah, look, so yeah, Tim's Tim's drunken uncle parts are like, I just I write that off as just it's an interesting flavor. Mm. Well, I mean, ingredient to the song. It yeah. certainly is interesting because obviously no one else sounds like him. So no. like, and the, the you know the interesting kicker is like when he like so if you if you consider that bad lyrics, bad vocals, whatever, his guitar playing is almost as bad. <laughs> like there's. A plethora, like so again when when we all when a bunch of us went and saw him last year at Punk Rock Bowling, you really realise how much Lars is playing yeah. at hundred and fifty percent capacity because Tim's not really. Like yeah. he'll do like a big strum. He he plays his massive Gretsch, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, is he right it must be a right handed Gretsch played left handed, strung yeah. upside down. He'll do this massive ring out chord. And then just like swagger around on stage, and like the guitar's like hanging off and shit, <laughs> and like Lars is just holding it down. Oh yeah, like and that. Yeah. That the funny thing too. Again, like a, a closer connection with this as well is like that the singer from Agnostic Front is on the record, and Agnostic Front are the other band that I've seen do that to such a classic point that like yeah. 
Vinny Stigma does not play guitar. Like, no. he <laughs> just walks around. For all I, intents and purposes, he's the mascot. And like, I yeah. am relatively certain... The, the I've played with Agnostic Front, and I'm relatively certain the one show that I've played with them, he was not even plugged in. Yeah, like, I've heard that many a times. And yeah, yeah, yeah. he was simply... You know, it, you went to see him. Yeah. But, and that's what he was doing. And that's yep. exactly... To be honest, he's earned it. Like, yeah, you well, know, like, you know what? That's exactly right. Yeah, yeah, that's exactly been, right. And I, I would say the same thing for Tim Armstrong. He's yeah. got two fucking Grammys. He can obviously write a yeah. song. And he, he <laughs> basically shaped, like, you know, if you look at Operation Ivy, mm. like, he shaped a sound that was, fuck, like, that was monstrous for, for a 10-year, oh, probably not even 10 years, but, like, for a period of time that kind of culminates in No Doubt. Yeah. Like the you know, one of the biggest bands of the nineties in the alternate you know, that kind of alternate umbrella. Yeah. Like that they kinda if you draw the line back, it started at Operation Ivy that he played guitar and sang a bit in. So mm. yeah, yeah, I mean it, it it's there's certainly and maybe that's why they just let him go. Tim, you do your thing because, like, it's going to be great. We'll, we'll figure make it, out. it we'll, yeah. yeah, we'll figure it out. Yeah. yeah. We'll there's play 20, live. No there's 20, 23 tracks on the album. You know, you get one every once in a while. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it's just it's just very interesting. I mean, there's certainly, there's certainly a band that interests me a lot because there are so many different things to think about them. Like the fact that, yeah, there's ripping bass. There's these weird fucking vocals. They've got you know, so many different sort of sounding songs in records. They have, for all intents and purposes, they have like pop songs as a part yeah. of their catalogue, you know. it's it, Yeah, it's it's very interesting for a band that came from where they came from and, yeah. you know, the, the scene of which they're a part of. Um, <clears throat> how, how much of like when you were doing old music for old people, how much of that um, set list conversation you know was was centered around um like stuff like this or was it always was the thought always just like play the classic songs from these bands yeah so we we definitely treated each show like it was a you know like you hear bands say they've got their club set and their festival set yeah our set was always the festival set because like (laughs) you know you don't like for what we were doing and let's be real it was a money, like, it was fun, but yeah. it was also like a cool money grab weekend away, bunch of mates, like we always flew everywhere. Yeah. We never walked away with a cent, but we never pulled our wallet out either, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, but yeah, so we tried to make it like, okay, let's not appeal to the, the three or four core heads like who, yeah. who, who want to hear track nine of some obscure mid-90s punk rock album. It's like, mm. let's play the hits. Yeah, and like if it wasn't if if we knew from the get go it wasn't going to get a reaction, or if we you know and you know what songs work and what songs don't work and that kind of thing yeah. like like yeah if it, if it was a deep cut it never went down that well like it might be personally enjoyable to play it, but it never went down that well yeah so like which is why we played we played at uh, Maxwell Murder because it was a banger and we would have done. Time Bomb or Roots Radical, one of the two of them, or maybe both of them as well. Yeah. But like, yeah, because gets people dancing, gets people moving. Yeah. We we're yeah. playing to, we we're playing to, you know, Bang or whatever those venues were called, and where the drinks were like a dollar from five till six and that kind of thing. <laughs> so like, people will well and truly lick it up by the time we got to, and so are we. And like, oh, I so mean, it just, yeah, it just had to be a party. I obviously saw you guys play a number of times but that that one that that show in sydney that i exist played yep that i mean that has to be one of like the drunkest i've been at a show yeah right well that's and that's perfect like that's we kind of had this thing where it's like the more drunk people are yeah the more fun it's going to be and that's not to push a like you You know can't have fun without drink yeah Yeah. none of that shit like it was just like this is this is where we came from, and it's interesting. Like I asked someone um, when we were, when we did it, you know, when we were doing it, and I asked, I think we played in Adelaide or Melbourne. I can't remember where he lived. Um, I remember asking Ben Coit yeah. and saying, "Hey, dude, like we're coming down. We do this thing. You might be interested. You've probably got some." 
pop punk down, like buried down in there somewhere. Do you want to do it? And he wrote back and said, like, hey, I'm really flattered you asked, but that sounds like the kind of thing you do, like, with your drunken mates, da-da-da. I was like, oh, that's cool. No, that is. Like, that is literally what you do. Yeah. And if you're, if you're a, you know, if you're a straight-edge vegan warrior, and that's not a diss, that's, like, if that's what you do, you will probably look at this and go, oh, that's kind of cool, but you won't want to be a part of it. Yeah. Like, that, you know. That being said, Yells sang a song with you guys once, right? Oh, definitely more than... Yeah, I'd say more than once. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which is great. I love it. It was fucking fantastic. (laughs) Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. But, yeah, and... Yeah, which is unbelievable. I'm pretty sure it was a good written song, although she can can correct us, but I'm pretty sure it was a good written song. I think so, too. I feel like I was there. Um, Yeah. Well, yeah, I mean, I I think, like, that certainly was... You know, it was a time. It was a time yeah. and place to do that as well. There and was it, it fit within the scope of what was happening around that time. Yeah. And like it's it was cool because like when we kind of started stepping away from it, it was great to see that other people went, Yeah, let's fucking do it. And this is gonna sound lame, like I think I mentioned it I don't know who I've mentioned it to, but like it was interesting I've spoken to a bunch of people on my podcast and a lot of people say like Okay, no, so Stu, Stu Ross, prime example. Yeah. When he was first started playing in bands, um, his thing was he just wanted to write original songs. Yeah. Like, like let's just write stuff. Like, let's write new things. Where, and, like, there's two schools you can come from. It's let's do that or let's play covers because mm. covers are fun and they're easy and da-da-da-da. And, like, I don't think it's a bad thing, but I wish I wasn't this way. But, yeah, like... You know, I just, it's that much more comfortable just playing covers because it's easy. Yeah. But like, even from a young age, like, yeah, I never had that. And maybe, look, I'd put it down to, I'm not a good enough songwriter by myself. Mm. So like, I can't, I can't sit down, write something and then go, hey, guitarist, here's this. Hey, you know, hey, other guitarist, here's that. I can do, I can write something in a band when it's like explosive and, you know, it's all happening then and there. Yeah. But like I can never write something. I can never write something by myself and be content enough to give it to someone. Mm-hmm. So I just go, oh fuck it. Well, I'll just play the songs that I like playing, and that's how I'll get my practice and you know stay match fit or whatever. Yeah, I yeah. mean that's really interesting because I'm kind of like the exact opposite in that like I hate learning other stuff because I hate not being able to play it exactly right. <laughs> Like, okay, yeah, that's fair enough. Yeah. Where, where, like, I find writing stuff is... That's, like, my reason to play guitar, is, like, to muck around and come up with things. Yeah. And, like, the only stuff that I'm, like, comfortable playing that I know well is, like, the songs that I could... I can tell you... I could hum every different bend on a guitar string in yep. that song, you know? Like, those songs I'm comfortable playing. But even, like, I think this is recorded two covers i guess mental gravity's recorded a cover like but i hate doing that because i feel like i the thing i don't like about recording covers is i don't like it when bands do covers that sound exactly like the original the original yeah but i also have this problem where like i can't hear it not sounding wrong (laughs) like if it's not the same way so that that always that's always been like a thorn in my side which is Bizarre, because I come from the same background of, like, playing, you know, in bands at school and playing yeah. covers. Like, and I mean, I and while I was, like, a metal kid, I definitely played a Mill and Colin song in a band in school because That's awesome. I was the drummer. Like, yeah, I was the yeah. drummer in our year level. So. But you probably played, like, a Slayer song as well. Yeah, yeah, I did. Yeah, yeah. yeah. But, so, but, so here's, here's my question to you, then. What makes you... Like, what do you think it is? Because I'd love to learn how to do it. Like, I pick up an instrument mm-hmm. and I just get overwhelmed with it all. Yeah. Like, and, you know, I've been playing bass for at, at least, you know, 24, 25 years. Yeah. And I pick up something and go, ah, oh, just... Like, it's like there's too much information overload with, like, everything I've ever taught myself and everything I've ever learned. Sure. That when I pick something up, I just go... I just fall back into going, oh, this sounds like this, or this sounds like that, and it just can never be something new. Sure. But, like, I can, again, I can do it in a band, mm. but I just can't sit there and pick it up by myself and go, like, what, 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 do you, what do you think it is about you or about that kind of player where you can pick up an instrument and go, 
I'm gonna write. I don't want to play that riff. I want to. I want to write riffs. I mean, I think actually, because despite what people might think, I'm not actually that good at guitar. <laughs> like I can't. But no, no, no. In in like, and that's not self-deprecating. In the sense that like, I don't know how to play chords. Like I know four chords. I couldn't tell you what the notes are. I only yeah. know them because my hand has had to learn them to play a song at some yep. point, you know, like, and like, I, I mean, I've talked about this before, but like for a while and sort of kind of still are, I jammed with Beltsy and Gordy and Beltsy taught me all these songs that he wrote that sounded like Danzig and they're fucking awesome. <laughs> and he yeah. taught them to me on guitar. And I mean, I'm sure he would say this as well, but it was like, I was sitting there like a fucking kid in year five learning how to play guitar. Like he was showing me songs and I was like, I don't know what you're doing, man. And he'd be like, <laughs> he'd be like, oh, play F. And I'm like, don't know what that is. Tell me the number. Like, show me where the finger goes. That's <laughs> that's so good. But like, and, but that's worked for me and it's worked yeah. in the scope of the stuff that I play. And I've, again, like, I mean, the other thing for me too is that I think, well, again, not that many people know in the grand scheme of things, but like, I started playing drums. I didn't start playing guitar. So like... Yep. I always forget that about you. That's the other thing for me with guitar playing. While I much prefer playing guitar, and I definitely am way better at guitar than I am at drums now, but like the thing for playing guitar for me is always like playing guitar is a function to play in a band. It's I don't I would never go out and play guitar by myself. Like I could never do a a Jamie Hay or whatever and go play guitar yep. on my own. There's no way that I could do it. But it, for me, it is just a it's a function to play music with other people or to play in a big, in a bigger setting. Yep. So I think for me, the, the part of the reason why, you know, I did guitar lessons for like a year and I was pretty good at guitar when I did guitar lessons, when I was like actively having to learn stuff. Like, yeah, I remember there was a point where I could play like the one solo by Metallica. Okay. Yeah. yeah. What? Well, okay. Yeah. yeah. And, yep. And I also learnt, like, not the hard parts, obviously, but I learnt, like, like a lot of people who learnt guitar, like, I learnt, like, the the easy solo parts of, like, Joe Satriani songs. Okay, <laughs> when I was yeah, in, yeah, You know, when I was in, like, like where you're sitting right now, I used to work yep. at a music store, there was sheet music, there was tabs, I used to sit and learn them. That That I could do, but then I started listening to, you know death metal and stoner rock and that's what i like and then yeah it just devolved <laughs> into like oh well three five is good i'll just do that over and over again at varying so, speeds like so uh, like i get i get that too but then like i'll play you know like let's call it, let's get not get too nerdy but like mm -hmm. imagine an a so an open a yep the three the five and the six right yeah like to me, that's the last nerve chord. Like those notes sure. make la pretty much every last nerve song ever. Yeah, and like I play that and I just go, everything I do that sounds like this will just sound like a last nerve song or a this band song. Yeah, and I can't make it my own, and I have this barrier that just gets put up because I just can't. Yeah, I just can't do it. I don't know. My my thing with that part of songwriting is more like. If it sounds like something, it's cool as long as okay. it's not exactly the same as it. And like, because okay. uh, I mean, certainly there's I exist songs that are like, just absolute rips of other. I mean, Stoner Rock, it, everything's just a fucking Black Sabbath song. You're just playing yeah. Black Sabbath backwards or sideways yep. or whatever, you know. Like, um, so it, it. I think for me, for me, it's probably a mix of like. <laughs> not having enough confidence in myself to learn things or not having enough patience to go and do that. And then also like just wanting to fucking play shows and wanting to play with people and wanting to do so. So that like that's drives so me past anything. But that being said, that's not like I'm always able to write songs. I would say like, I've definitely had big patches in my life where I've not been able to write a riff kind of thing. Yeah. It comes okay. and goes, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, Doing stuff do like this, like talking to people that, about music helps it, you know? Do you think the drumming, do you think coming from a drumming background helps because you can hear yeah. the drums oh, as for, you're doing? For sure. Yeah. That, that, that's helped immeasurably in terms of writing songs because I can, I'll write a whole song and I'll know in my head how I want it to go. And yeah. then 
But then the hard thing with that is finding a drummer who can do that for you. Yeah, Because okay. even though, like, I'm not as good at drums as the person playing, if they play the wrong thing that's in my head, or they play it in a way that doesn't align with me, it, yeah. it can be hard. Whereas, like, but with, like, Murph from I Exist, for example, that's never been a problem. Yeah, but okay. then I played in a band here for a while called Big Bread with... Reese, who played drums in Extortion and was in Jaws and stuff like that, and Reese played drums. And anyone who knows Reese, he's like the weirdest drummer ever. Like he'll he plays the strangest beats and the weirdest shit, and his, all his fills are like not out of time, but they're not in line with what yeah, you're doing. Yep. yep. And we were writing like high on fiery kind of death metal stuff, and just him playing beats like i'd play a riff that was just like and instead of just going like it'd be like i'd just be standing like where the fuck did those toms come from why did you choose that like but and it's all it's it all it'd be hard to tell someone like no 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 here's how i want you to play it well particularly when you're telling someone who's like oh this guy wrote the four yeah. extortion records like i can't tell him yeah. no that's, that's wrong <laughs> slow motion suicide is such a fucking banging yeah. album yeah. yeah so actually one thing i wanted to talk about with rancid that just i just remembered go um when it came out like so i can't i don't remember what they did on the first rancid album but they definitely did on the second and third after all the thanks right after all the shit then at the end it would say see you in the pit just okay. like that was their that was their brutal. Like, that was sure. their sign off, right? Yeah, yeah. So then, when Life Won't Wait came out, it just said, see ya. There was no mention of the pit. And it's like, oh, like that, you know, that alone should have been. I mean, not, you know, people are going to read, press play first before they read all the lyrics and shit. But like, that alone was like a, maybe a little subtle, like. This one's different. Thi- yeah, this one's different. Don't expect, don't, whatever you expect, this is. Here's a little Easter egg to let you know that this isn't, you know, it's not about the pit anymore. You won't like, see these keyboards yeah. in the pit. Into pit, yeah. <laughs> so, I, and like, I remember thinking about, like, that's fucking weird. Like, that's an interesting time. And then they do it subsequently after that. They always say it. But right. just this one album, they just said, see ya. I was like, there you go. Like, you knew what was coming. Yeah. I mean, how could you not? But like, yeah, you knew, you know, you preempted it. Man, that's that's wild. I like, yeah. and particularly if you've made that part of your part of your like ethos. Well, it's it's like similar to when Rage Against, Rage Against Machine always put like I don't know if you're a big Rage Against Machine fan, but like they always put um, all all noises made by guitar, drum, bass, or something yeah. something like that. Yeah, like, or like we, we don't no synthesizers. We no synthesizers. Yeah, yeah, none, yeah, yeah. yeah. And like that was what they did, just yeah. to let you know. Like, and that was this weird constant through. I mean, they only had three, three original, like three album albums, a yeah. covers album, and a live album. But like, all you know, all noises produced, da 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 da. And this was Rancid being like, yeah, like we're gonna That's change it up thing. a bit. Yeah, man, so. you, I like. I, that, I've always dug that stuff though. Like, I I always put in every thanks that I've ever done. Always got to thank Black Sabbath and I hate God. So, like, I've Fair just enough. done that in everything I've ever done. So, you know. we I used to play in a band that um, doesn't, didn't matter where we played. Literally mm-hmm. didn't matter where we played. We'd always burn one guest spot for Bruce Dickinson. In case <laughs> in case Bruce Dickinson ever just... It just turned up and, like, hey, Bruce, you're on the door. You're on the... Put Bruce's <laughs> on the door. like And, like, so there'd be nights where it'd be, like, fuck, one of us is going to have to pay for our girlfriends or wives or something. Because Bruce is on the door. Bruce is on the door. I love like that. Just, just in cool. case. Yeah. <laughs> so. And that's a cool, that's a really cool thing to say to a, a door person. Yeah. Yeah, I got to yeah. chuck if, Bruce Dickinson on. Yeah. Is he coming tonight? I don't know. But if he does, we're going to be prepared. Like, you know. That's, uh, in case he's flown his 747 in ca- into yep. in case, Wollongong for the night. What's that fucking, what's his plane called? Ed Star Ed, One? Ed, Ed, Ed Force, Force One? One? Yeah. Yeah. Just in case that detoured into Sydney International and he's <laughs> out at the Green Square Hotel on a Wednesday night, you know. Yeah. 
It's just coming to see some live music, you know. Yep, just doing the damn thing. So yeah, and that's like you know, so that's that's in a nutshell nothing to do with Bruce Dickinson. Dickinson is why I think this album's fucking cracking. I, I have. I when I, when we first spoke about this, I had three albums that I, it was down to three albums that I wanted to pick. Yeah, and looking back at the list, I realized all three albums were the albums after the band's biggest album. If yeah, that makes I, sense, I actually noticed that as well with your list. Yeah, yeah. so it was um, one hot minute, Red Hot Chili Peppers, or So Long, Thanks for All the Shoes by No Effects. Yeah, which you know, oh, actually, the No Effects one was a bit different because there was an album in between. But yeah, like they were the albums. That they tried to Shortly get away after from, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. That they tried to get away from what they were, what they were known for. So, mm. yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, let's. Uh, that's as good a place as ever to call it. But thank Fantastic. you, thank you for uh, chatting with this record about this record with me. Um, and uh, yeah, before we go, where where's things at with your podcasts at the moment? Two. My so I'm doing I do the My Age podcast, which you know you've been a guest on. Mm-hmm. I've got a whole bunch of episodes banked up because there was a stage, as you know, where no one was doing anything because COVID was in full effect. Yeah. So I'm kind of just slowly drip feeding them out, and then I've kind of inspired by you, but also like, actually not inspired by you, but definitely motivated by you to kind of change it up a bit because. Um, Asking the same questions, even though the different people can get a bit boring. Mm. So I've kind of done a little, a little sister podcast called the Original Me podcast, which is a same kind of concept where we pick songs, but basically get the guests to pick their own songs. Yeah, and we talk about that, um, which is also you know it's also fun because it's a it's a lot quicker to talk about. Like the episodes have been an hour long as opposed to two two and a half hours, which can get a bit tedious. Yeah, um, but. Yeah, so it's just it's just a fun little thing that I wanted to do just to kind of change it up and yeah, because I like I I love the concept of getting context behind the songs or just yeah. finding you know just finding out where people are about like it's like you know I'm sure like I grew up and I'm sure you did too reading the liner notes of yeah. everything you ever purchased because you had to purchase it so like any kind of context that comes along with music is just an added bonus. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's yeah. sick. I mean, I think the thing for me, and I guess the whole reason to keep doing this is just to keep getting deeper insight into why people like things and why yeah. people do things. So, And look, I, I've said it to you before and I'll say it on record now. I fuck, I like, I love the old style. I fucking love the new style. And yeah, I just, I really, really dig what you do. Like I legitimately dig what you do. And if anyone asks what podcast I listen to, this is, one of the first ones that rolls off the tongue. So, yeah. Well, thank you, mate. Thank you for Not coming and doing it. And Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me on your podcast as well. It's been great cool. doing those. and been great hearing them too. Awesome. Thank you, sir. Cheers, man.